Good morning. So if you have ever struggled with suicidal thoughts, taking your own life, hopelessness, depression, despair, that whole long list of stuff. You might want to listen today because God has something to speak to us about that. This is hope for the hopeless. And if you're here and you've never experienced any of that stuff, which is doubtful that you haven't experienced it to some degree. If you haven't, praise the Lord, you are blessed. So if you're here and you haven't ever experienced that stuff, you're not experiencing that stuff, you still need to hear what God has to say because he's going to use you to talk to somebody who is experiencing that. It's been two weeks since we've last spoken from our series in Ephesians. I want to thank Dan. For two weeks ago, you taught us about joy and suffering. Congratulations to those who last week were baptized. We hope it was a very meaningful experience for you, and you're still ex experiencing the results of that. It's like a pebble in a pond. The ripples go on now forever. And then just to jog our memory, since it has been two weeks, remember Ephesians 1.3? It's on the screen. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We should have this committed to memory by now, right? Because our focus recently has been on the spiritual blessings that belong to those who have come to Jesus, those who the Bible calls in Christ. You're either in Adam, that means you haven't come to know Jesus yet, you're still in your, your earthly father, Adam, from the garden, and that is not a good place to be. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And the opportunity to be in Christ is available to everyone. No one is excluded. If you remain in Adam, that's because it's your choice. You've chosen to remain in Adam. You've chosen not to come to Jesus. These spiritual blessings, they relate to our relationship with Christ. Who we are in Christ. What the Bible calls and theologians call our position in Christ. These are not the earthly, physical, material blessings. Food, clothing, shelter, goods, property. Those blessings come to us in Christ as well, but these are not those. These are spiritual blessings that belong to those who have come to Jesus, exclusively to those who come to Jesus. The entire human race benefits from God's physical blessings, food, clothing, shelter. The rain that fell did not just fall on the Christian farms. It fell across the board. The entire human race benefits from the physical blessings of the Lord. Exclusively those in Christ benefit from the spiritual blessings. So we paused. We hit the pause button on our primary series in Ephesians, and we launched a mini-series. And we entitled it, Who I Am in Christ. The Believer's Position in Christ. Today is the last message in that mini-series. We'll, we'll take a break next week. We're going to celebrate communion together. Then we're going to head in back into our main series or our series through the main book 
our main series through the book of Ephesians. Now, since this is the last sermon in the miniseries, it's important to bring this out. There is an importance. There is an intention, an intentionality in knowing who we are in Christ, in knowing our position in Christ. And it's this on the screen. The knowledge of who we are, the understanding of our position in Christ, it should be influencing how we think and how we live. The hope is that we will live our daily life out of this knowledge that we're gaining of who we are in Christ and what our position is in him. Out of that understanding. In other words, the knowledge of who we are in Christ and knowing our position, understanding our position in Christ, it's not pie in the sky teaching. It's not impractical, all heavy theological stuff. It is but it's not. It's not becoming too heavenly minded to be any earthly good, that sort of thing. These theological teachings, the spiritual blessings in Christ, should be bringing change in the way we think and in our behavior. It should be impacting how we live. Honestly, I love that you come to church every Sunday, but it's not enough to come to church every Sunday and hear this stuff and go out and be the same. If you're really hearing this stuff, if God is really ministering to you, your life should be changing out there. There should be things happening that you notice there's more of God in your life. There's things happening. And if not, you need to ask him, why not? Where's the block? What's the short circuit? God is not speaking this stuff to us so that we just come in, have a good Sunday morning. We went to church, now we feel good, and then we go back to life. And we don't change. And if that happens, we don't impact our culture. And our culture goes to hell. And you're seeing that it is. And many people go to hell with it. God's intention is to use the church to change things out there through the teaching. She always has a comment at just the right time. Thank you, Presley. See, this is God's intention in wanting his people to know this stuff. We're not just up here for filler. We're not just coming here for filler and hearing some good-sounding stuff. God has an intention in it. He wants his people to know this stuff so that it begins to change their lives, and then he can use us. So this theme of spiritual blessings in Christ, it's found primarily in the book of Ephesians, but not exclusively in the book of Ephesians. We've looked at various New Testament scriptures outside of the book of Ephesians, and we found many spiritual blessings in Christ, such as, jog our memories. Some spiritual blessings in Christ, and we'll go through each one slowly. We are now, in Christ, friends of God. We now, in Christ, have direct access to his throne, to his presence. And if you're not taking advantage of that, you are greatly missing out. We now in Christ have protection from the enemy. I think I skipped one. There is now for the believer in Christ no condemnation. We talked extensively about that. Free from condemnation. How freeing it is when you pray with somebody to receive the Lord. Don't just pray and move on. Let it marinate for a little in silence, 
And then ask the person, do you sense anything after they've prayed? Nine times out of ten, at least part of their answer will be, I feel so much lighter. And the reason is, there's a reason for that. You do feel so much lighter because the condemnation has been lifted off and taken away. Your guilt and your shame is gone. You should feel lighter. Whether you know it or not, you've been carrying that if you don't know Christ. You've been carrying the condemnation, the guilt of your sin, the shame of your sin. You can push it down as far as you want. You're still carrying it until Christ removes it. We now have in Christ protection from the evil one. I am so thankful for that. I see what the evil one's doing in many people's lives out there. We have protection from the evil one, the devil, Satan. And then there were many other, others that actually came from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Today's spiritual blessing. Jamie, you can come. Today's spiritual blessing in Christ and the last one in the miniseries. Will you stand with us, please? Stand for the reading of God's word. Jamie, wait till we're all standing in position. Read good and loud into the mic. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Thank you, Jamie. And you may be seated. Title of today's sermon, A Purpose-Filled Life. Today's spiritual blessing and the main point, in Christ, I can experience a purpose-filled life. Why is that even important? We'll see why it's important, especially in the conclusion and application. So, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast. We are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So it's by grace you have been saved, verses 8 and 9. That references personal salvation through faith in Jesus. And then once that is accomplished in a person's life, verse 10 can kick in. Verse 10 can activate the purpose and the plan of God for our lives. Verse 10, we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are created in this context. The meaning is we are newly created. We are new creations in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have become new. The old has passed away. It's a new life. We are created, the context meaning we've come to Christ, we've been born again. But we were born again for a purpose. The old self-centered life is now gone. The new Christ-like self has come. If you're not noticing that change in your life, then we need to talk. We need to make sure that you connected with the Lord. If you're still living the old self-centered life and it's still all about you and all about toys and all about the world and all about the things of the world, we need to check and see and make sure the salvation actually took.
If you know Christ, there is now, or at least there should be, a desire to serve God, a desire to live for Christ and no longer live for yourself. Those who are in Christ no longer live for themselves, but they live to serve Him. If you're not noticing that change in your life, we need to talk about that salvation experience. So, when a person truly gets saved, they become a new creation in Christ. There's a purpose. We were created for good works. That refers to the sum total of all the incidentals, all the many, all the varied aspects, all the components that are part of God's plan and God's purpose for your life and my life. And they're not exactly the same, but there's a huge similarity, which we'll mention. These are not indiscriminate good works that we choose to do. These are good works that God has prepared for us to do. That makes it all the more exciting to me. I don't have to figure it out. All I have to do is spend time with him and let him tell me. That's so much easier than having to figure it out on your own. What if you miss it? If you're figuring it out on your own. Once we know Christ, we're now on the plan. Up until our salvation, God is just trying to draw us to Christ. God's not even concerned about the good works you're doing or not doing. Before you know Christ, there's one purpose in God's heart and mind. He needs to bring you to a place where you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Nothing really of value can happen before that until that. But see, once that happens, now you're on the plan, his plan. There's now purpose. There's now meaning. There's now a reason to live. Purpose in life, meaningful life, a reason to live is so extremely important. More important than we know. And we'll speak more to that in the conclusion and the application. For now, though, let's focus on the purpose of God for our lives. The purpose of God for your life. And let's look at some scriptures, make a few comments... This will just be on the purpose of God in general. What we want to show through these scriptures and comments is just the fact that he does indeed have a plan and have a purpose for each of us. Then after we establish that, we'll look and get more specific about the plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, classic, classic verse on purpose. I know the plans. I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for peace. Plans for well-being. Not for disaster. Plans to give you a future and to give you hope. God has a plan. God has a purpose for your life. If you know Jesus and if you are still here on this earth, there is yet further plan. I don't care how old you are. If you're still here, if you're still breathing breath, God has a plan and a purpose for you. 
And when that plan is fully accomplished, God will take you home. He'll simply take your soul out of your body and then let the medical field figure out why you died. Psalm 139, 16. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment of my life was laid out before a single day had passed. Now listen to this. It's important. Even before we were born, God designed a purpose and a plan for our lives. It was perfectly suited to who you are. He designed that plan. He designed that purpose. He just had to wait for us to come to Christ in space and time before he could implement it. The plan was already designed just waiting for you to come to Christ. If you haven't yet come to Christ, then the plan's still on hold. It's shelved in heaven. You're not on his plan. No matter how much good you think you're doing, there's a scary verse in Isaiah. It says, all of your good works, talking about those who are not in Christ, following God, all of your good works are as filthy rags before me. Because good works can't count until you're in Christ. Then after you're in Christ, your good works begin to count. You're now in God's plan, in his purpose. John chapter 10, verse 10, another classic verse about meaning, meaningful life, a reason to live. The thief, the devil, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. You've sensed that, haven't you? The devil only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. If you have given yourself to the devil, whatever that means, you kind of really can't sell your soul because you already owned your soul when you're born. But if you've given your life over to living to the devil, please don't hope that you're going to get some kind of reward or that he cares for you. He'll use you until he's used you up, and then he'll destroy you. All he does is steal, rob, and destroy. And many people are deceived into thinking they can somehow appease him. He's the master deceiver. It was deception, Eve eating the fruit, and then Adam, of course. But Eve was first. Ladies, got to admit. We wouldn't be in this mess if Adam and Eve hadn't eaten the fruit, and they ate the fruit because they were deceived by the enemy. But I, Jesus speaking, I have come that they might have life. And the English doesn't give that justification. It's life. Well, Ephesians 3.20 explains it better. God is able to do immeasurably beyond anything you can ask or imagine by his power that works within us. Jesus has come that we would have life and life to the fullest. We baptized James last week. I don't see him here. Is he here today? That kid is so full of life. I love being around him. Life just exudes from him. Had trouble keeping him up out of the water until we baptized him, though. 
He just wanted to swim. In Christ, we can have rich, full, meaningful, purpose-filled lives. That's one of God's primary intentions in our salvation. It's one of the primary reasons he saves us. It's not just eternal life in heaven. It's eternal life here and now, full, rich, meaningful, more than you can ever imagine. And which, by the way, was stolen by the enemy. He comes to steal, rob, and destroy. He stole life from us. And Jesus restores life to us. It's kind of simple, isn't it? The devil distorts. The devil stole life from us, and Jesus restored life to us. John 15, 16. You have not chosen me, Jesus speaking. I have chosen you. I have appointed you. I have placed and purposefully planted you so that you would go and bear fruit and keep on bearing fruit and that your fruit would remain and the fruit you bear will be lasting. As we said earlier, when you responded to God's invitation to come to Jesus, you came on to the plan. You came on to the divine plan, the divine purpose for your life. Each of us, all of us, no exception if we've come to Christ. If you haven't come to Christ, talk to me before you leave this room. It honestly is a matter of life and death. It's that serious. God's plans and purposes are that you and I will bear much fruit for the kingdom. Not how many toys you've accumulated and amassed in your life, how many earthly goods you have, fruit for the kingdom. All the other stuff is going to burn away at the judgment seat of Christ through the fire of righteousness. And what will remain is the works that we did that he planned for us in advance. Kingdom work. God intends that we have prosperous, but boy, you got to keep that word in perspective. When the Bible talks about prospering, it's not talking about getting rich and fat and wealthy. It's talking about having everything, everything you need to serve him. That's prospering. Prosperous, productive, profitable lives live for Jesus. Days full of rich Meaningful existence, not aimless wandering, not languishing through life. Think about that. Is your life rich and full, meaningful? Or are you still aimlessly wandering and languishing through life? Maybe trying to find pleasure in the wrong places. Trying to find these things in the wrong places. Listen. Are you listening? Who's listening? Well, a couple. Well, then you'll benefit. If you're listening, you'll benefit. And the rest of you, sorry. When you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, there's a reason to get up in the morning. One of the biggest differences in my life, pre and post come to know Jesus, was a reason to get up in the morning. I was searching for that in so many wrong places. Nothing ever satisfied until I came to know Jesus. Now it's been over 40 years, and I can't wait to get up in the morning because I know him. Does that mean every day is great? 
tiptoe through the roses. Of course not. I'm a pastor. <laughs> that was supposed to be a joke. No, it doesn't mean that, but it means there's reason to live. There's hope. And the devil can't steal it. He'll try. He's tried, right? But he can't steal it. He can't really get at you unless you allow him. Even in trial and tribulation, there's a reason to get up in the morning. There's a reason to live if you know Jesus. You can now have a Tigger existence instead of an Eeyore existence. You can actually look out and say, the weather's fine, and not say, probably going to rain. Again, only a few chuckles. I'm working hard up here today, guys. It says your fruit will remain. Your fruit will be lasting. That's kingdom fruit. When we're on God's plan, when we're in God's purpose for our lives, our lives will count for something. Something here and now and something eternal. 2 Corinthians 6.1. Oh, this is an interesting verse. As God's co-workers. Did you ever see yourself as a co-worker with God? Come on, Pastor, that's a little lofty, isn't it? That's really not. Not if you know Christ. As God's co-workers. And most of us who do think, yeah, I guess I'm a co-worker, we think that we're working down here for him and he's way up there. And that's not what it means at all. You have co-workers. Are they miles and miles apart from you? I guess some could be, Zoom and all of that. But basically, you got co-workers that you're working side by side, hand in hand. Sometimes there has to be a group, a teamwork, right, Dan? And we got to learn to work together to get it done. Think about God in that respect. God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in, in vain. Very interesting thought. As God's co-workers, God has a purpose, God has a plan for your life. Good works for us, for you to do, which he ordained in advance. Not random, indiscriminate good works. Good works he planned in advance for us to produce, for us to accomplish. And here's the interesting part. Did I lose you through that rambling? Here's the interesting part. God desires to work closely with you to accomplish his plan. He's not showing you the blueprint and the plan and then going back to heaven and you're left on your own. He wants to be intricately involved with you in accomplishing the plan he has for your life. What a way to live. Come on. So different than the way many of us used to live. Unfortunately, so different than the way many believers live today who profess to know him. We think we're out there on our own, and that's a horrible, that's a horrible place to be. You and God, God and you, working together. The way it was in the garden, before the fruit. God created the world. He placed man, Adam and Eve, on earth in the garden, which was a place on earth. It wasn't the entire earth. And then he gave them dominion and authority over that garden and over the earth. And the plan was he and they, God and Adam and Eve, 
They would together manage and develop this creation. And they would produce children and become a family. And the family with God would work to manage the creation. That was the original plan. Did you know that? Did you ever think about that? You've read Genesis a hundred times. Well, of course, that plan was short-circuited. Man succumbed to the devil's deception, his temptation, and he sinned. And he broke fellowship with God. There's so much we could say, but fast forward in time from Genesis 3 to when Jesus appears on the scene. Fellowship with God, that glorious idea of God and man working together, short-circuited. Here comes Jesus, and we're restored. We're reconciled to Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden status. Relationship with God, our creator, who wants to be God, our heavenly father. And after all that, we came into salvation. We've been restored. We are appointed to accomplish big plans and big purposes that he has for our lives. Working together with him as co-workers. Now it's he and you. It's he and I. Co-workers once again. Establishing his purposes on earth as it is in heaven. When you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you're praying, you're co-laboring with God, co-worker with God in accomplishing his purposes on earth. It's the loophole that he left when Satan gained control of the earth. He said, you got control of the earth. We talked about that. But there's a loophole. If my people pray, I now have the right to work on the earth and override your plans. So to my people, I say... Pray, my kingdom come. Pray, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And see what we'll do together. So these are slides that are trying to establish for us. God indeed has a plan. He has a purpose for your life, for my life. We want to start just to close. We want to become a little more specific. You are the salt, Matthew 5, 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, purpose, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything. You are the light of Christ to the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And we, we could preach an entire, we could be here all day on that verse. But I just want to make in context a couple of brief comments. When you come to Christ, when you came to Christ, you became salt to the world. Now think about this, because my guess would be, I'm not a betting man too much. I'm not a betting man, but I would bet you've never thought about this. When you came to Christ, you became salt to the world. What does that even mean? Salt is a preservative. It's other things, too. But it's a preservative. So in other words, now listen to this. Do you realize God is preserving the world? God is not destroying the world. Despite the level of evil in the world. Despite the world crying out to be destroyed because of its evil and sin. God is not destroying the world because of you. Because you're in the world and you're salt to the world, and you're preserving the world.
God is not destroying the world, not judging the world as he justly could, because we're still here. Many people wonder about the rapture. Oh, is it pre-trib? Is it mid-trib? Is it post-trib? Well, I'll give away my theology. You can believe, though, whatever you want. My theology is it has to be pre-trib. The rapture has to be before the tribulation and the destruction of the world. Why? Because we're here. God cannot destroy the world while we're here. The devil cannot destroy the world while we're here because we're salt to the world. God's preserving the world through us. When it comes time to destroy the world, guess what? He has to take the salt out of the earth. I have no fears at all of facing the tribulation. Part of your purpose as a believer is preserving the world. God is using you to preserve the world. God is using you to stave off the destruction that evil so viciously wants to accomplish. Your righteousness in Christ as a believer is allowing God to patiently withhold the destruction of the world. Did you ever see yourself like that? You're so much more important than you think you are. You can't just lay down this cause. You've got to be on the cause. You've got to be on the plan. You've got to be a part of the purpose. So much depends on it, church. And not just church, Columbia Christian Fellowship, church. And then it also says very quickly, you're the light of the world. When you came to Christ, you became light to the world. Scripture says we know the whole world lies in darkness. So again, do you realize if it wasn't for you, there'd be no light in the world. There'd be no hope. There'd be no understanding for the world. You think it's evil now. Wait until the salt and light is taken out. You ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus said those days get so bad if it wasn't for God intervening, no flesh would live. Not one person would live. He says those days had to be purposefully shortened. Talking about the tribulation. Because God in the rapture takes the salt and the light out of the world. That's you. That's me. You have a huge purpose in Christ. Second Corinthians 5, 18 to 20, I think this is the last verse, but it's extremely important. We're moving from the general thought that God has a plan and a purpose to what that plan and purpose is, at least in a category. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. This is the believer's primary purpose in life. 
sharing the message of reconciliation, restoration to lost souls who, who are still yet estranged from God and do not know him. They know him as their creator. He wants to be known as their heavenly father. Although for each of us, it's going to take on varied and personalized tasks and assignments. The tasks he gives me under this category of the ministry of reconciliation, restoration, are not the same tasks that he'll give you. The assignments that you have are not the same assignments that you have, but it's all under the same category because we're all working on the same message. We're all working on the same mission, I mean, with the same message to bring lost souls to Christ before it's too late for them. The essence and the purpose of our, all of our good works that were ordained by God for us in advance, the essence and the purpose is the same, although they're not the exact same good works. You'll reach people that I can't. I'll reach people that you can't. It says we are ambassadors for Christ. I want you to think deeply on this. I'm sure you've heard that before. We're on a mission with Christ in a foreign country. That's what an ambassador does. He goes or she goes to a foreign country and represents the home country. We're on mission with Christ in a foreign country, this world, to tell others about Jesus. Remember two weeks ago, we said we're living behind enemy lines. We're in enemy's territory here. We're ambassadors in an enemy land representing Christ. That's your mission. That's your purpose. That's your plan. And there'll be many and varied aspects of that for you. 2 Corinthians 5 is really simply another way of saying Mark 16, 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to every person. Matthew, 18, Matthew 28, 18 and 20. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Acts 1, 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses and you will tell people everywhere about me. So here's the conclusion. Today's main point, in Christ, we can experience a purpose-filled life, not an aimless, languishing existence. How important is having purpose in life? According to studies at the IPS Project, it's a mental health study group, study organization, often, possibly always, that's getting pretty strong, you don't want to go that far, so possibly primarily the underlying cause of suicide, and it's rampant in our country, in the world. Other mental, emotional health struggles like depression and despair and all that comes along with that, deep anxiety. Possible cause, primary cause, often uncovered cause is it's a perceived lack of purpose in life. No meaningful existence, no reason to live. What's the use? Lack of purpose, lack of meaningful life, lacking of having a reason to live or a reason to get up can destroy confidence. It can destroy self-esteem. Lack of understanding purpose in life opens us up to the schemes of the devil 
and all sorts of destruction, destructive behavior. If you haven't seen the Jesus Revolution movie, I very rarely, I don't know if I've ever recommended a movie. If you decide to watch it, look for this theme. It's a movie about the, the, uh, the hippies, the Jesus freaks, that whole, whole era, which I lived through. Watching that movie was like seeing my life pass before my eyes. And what drove that generation into the destructive behaviors that were so rampant was there was no purpose. There was no purpose to live. Just trying to find pleasure, find something, find some kind of meaning in life, in the drug culture, in the free sex, in all the things that they determined were stuff that you should seek after. But the bottom line is, not giving the movie away, the bottom line is it's a quest for God, camouflaged. Quest for God, camouflaged. And fortunately for that generation, God moved mightily and met those kids where they were. Lack of purpose and meaningful reason for living opens us up to the schemes of the devil, and he can just have his way with us and bring about all sorts of destructive behavior into our lives as we're trying to seek for some sort of meaning. You say, well, yeah, at some point along, along the way, we all find God, don't we? No, that's the problem. We don't all find God, and we end up dying in those or from those destructive measures. Consider yourself very fortunate that you are here today. Because if the devil had, had his way, he would have taken you out a long time ago. Now, if you haven't yet come to Christ, need to take care of that. You don't have any guarantee of tomorrow. You really don't. You know that. I have felt meaningless, purpose, purple, purposeless existence. And it's what finally drove me to Christ. Thankfully, in Christ, there is not a lack of purpose in life. In fact, the opposite is true. Jesus offers believers a purpose-filled life, if you'll have it, if you'll have it. God never forces anything on us. God never forces us to do anything. But if you have it, it's worth having it. <laughs> we need to ask ourselves, and as professing believers, this isn't a real serious ouchie, but it's a challenge. We need to ask ourselves if we're professing, if we're sitting here and we say, yeah, we know Jesus. Well, if that's true, then for what are you living? God offers us so much reason to live. Such a meaningful life. So much purpose in life. But it only comes through living for him and serving him. Will you accept his offer? Will you accept his invitation? This isn't really an order call for salvation, although if you don't know the Lord, it is. But this is to those who know Christ. Will you accept the invitation to get fully on his plan and live fully for him and make that the priority? 
Seek him first and his righteousness. Then all this other stuff that you're living for will be added unto you. You'll get it. But you won't get it if you've made that the, prior, that the priority. You'll just keep running up into frustration against frustration after frustration. I've been there. Many of you have been there. You've tried to fill that God hole in your life with something other than God, and it doesn't work. So will you accept his offer? It is an offer. Will you accept his invitation? It is an invitation. Will you accept his challenge? It is a challenge. That might be the better word to us, to you personally, to embrace his purpose for you in your life. What he wants to do through you, through us, through me. Thank you. Deb Fry, will you come? The rest of us will stand. Sonny, you know what to do. I think. Uh-oh, Deb's mad at me. She didn't know the nature of the message when I asked her to pray. Okay, so wait till everybody's settled. And then when you feel you're ready, start to pray. Oh, Rich. Sorry. Father, I just want to thank you so much for Pastor Hope's sermon today. Um, it is, it is overwhelming, but it is truth, Heavenly Father. There is uh, a lot of people in this world that are lost, and I just pray for that, Heavenly Father. That um, I pray for this congregation. I pray for their families, Heavenly Father. I pray for healing over them with the sicknesses, the addictions, the anxiety. There is so much hurt in this world, Heavenly Father. And I just, uh, I pray for healing over all of it. Yes, and we know that your word is true and that we can come to you, Heavenly Father, and not lean on our own understanding. You know, a couple months ago, I had prayed, and God had given me two words, and it was healing and restoration. And I pray for that. I stand on that word, and I pray that the congregation stands on that word as well, Heavenly Father. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of chaos. So if we look to you, Heavenly Father, you're the one with all the answers, not us. As the worship band begins to play, Heavenly Father, I just pray that we look to you and see what you have to say to us to help others in different circumstances, not just uh, one word, just to, to keep in contact with people that are, think that their lives are useless, that they have no hope. Their lives are valuable, Heavenly Father. So I just pray that you just uh, give us the courage and the words to speak. I pray for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.